Hello, welcome to Central Valley Physicians Podcast. My name is Nicole Butler with Fresno Madera Medical Society, and today we have Dr. Alex Sheriffs here from Fresno, and one of his one of his many specialties is dementia and Alzheimer's. So that's our topic today. And welcome. Good day. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank great you. Great topic. All right, so let's get started. So I think one of the the questions that always comes to my mind and a lot of people um, is what exactly is the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's? That's that's a great question, and it's a common question that I get. It's an important question. Dementia means that uh, someone is having difficulty with their cognition, their thinking, their planning, their memory, and that's a change from in the past, and now it's interfering with their ability to do things that they used to normally do in terms of work or social relationships. There are many, many causes of dementia, hundreds, and as a physician, we're thinking about all of those, but the most common as we get older, although it's not normal aging, the number one risk factor is actually getting older. The number one cause of dementia as we age is the Alzheimer problem. And Alzheimer's refers to specific pathology in the brain, and people can have those changes without having developed dementia. The changes may not have caused enough damage to the brain that it's impairing our ability to do our usual functions. Uh, so it's probably mo- most accurate to speak of dementia of the Alzheimer's type, or the second most common, dementia of the vascular type, or somebody might have dementia from alcoholism, or dementia of the Lewy body type, or frontotemporal dementia. So there are many, many different kinds of dementia. Alzheimer's refers to a specific disease, a specific pattern of damage to brain cells. And then as we all understand, that leads to the primary difficulty people with Alzheimer's have, which is memory. So, you know, one of the, the, the things I think everybody starts to experience as you get older is forgetfulness, not necessarily a lot of memory loss, but just, you know, where did I put my keys or where, what did I put it? What time did I put that in the oven? Or did I wash my hair when I was in the shower? You kind of just forget it's short term, long term. What are some of the signs and symptoms that, that someone should look for either in themselves, if that's possible, or in their loved ones or, you know, parents or, you know, what, what are they looking for exactly? Yes, we all forget. We all have these lapses, but they don't cause significant problems in our lives. Uh, And so, yeah, somebody's having difficulty with a routine that they used to not have difficulty with. Uh, They can't do the recipes that they used to do. Uh, They're having more difficulty navigating the car. Uh, They get lost. Now, anybody can get lost, but boy, these can be red flags and an important reason to see your doctor and get that checked out. So I want to talk about the different stages of dementia and, you know, what is most common? What do you see out there? Is it, is it the, like the, the, the one that you were talking about that is an indicator prior to Alzheimer's is, you know, what, what's the most common, I guess? Yes, we think about, and and everybody wonders, you know, when somebody comes and their obvious memory problems, what stage of this problem are we at? If we're thinking about Alzheimer's disease, which we usually do, it's the most common, uh, typically from very earliest symptoms to death, that may be 8 or 15 years. Now, because this tends to be something that happens when we're older, where the onset might be when we're 70, 75, 15 years is a long time. 
And so actually people are unlikely to die from the Alzheimer's disease. But I think it may be, it is, it is useful for people to think about that eight to 15 year time frame and think about early, middle, late in terms of what's going on. You'll, you'll see writing where they talk about six stages or eight stages, 10 stages. Boy, we, we are too different as we get older, I think, to be parceled into those, those, okay. those, those kind. But thinking about early, middle, late, 8, 15 years. Okay. Uh, and it's important to remember uh, people can be quite functional and certainly very socially appropriate very late into the disease. And if we think of this memory problem, primarily short-term memory, well, the sh meaning of short-term recedes in time. Early on, we may have trouble if we have Alzheimer's, remembering what happened earlier in the day, as this progresses, maybe it's what happened in the last week, as it progresses, maybe we've lost the last year, maybe we've lost the last five years, but boy, our social and emotional learning, that's an in infancy, that's from the day we're born. So that stuff can be very, very intact and very good until very late in the disease. But again, even, even middle stage people, we want people to function. We want them to do what they can do. And that's one of the challenges for caregivers is figuring out what can this person successfully do. And yes, helping them, asking them, organizing the world so that they do that. Mm -hmm. so, so someone thinks that their loved one has um, some memory loss or um, is having trouble retaining information. They come to see... Uh, I guess, would they start with their primary care doctor or would they just call a specialist ahead of time? I think the primary care doctor is absolutely the place to begin. Okay. Uh, that, 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 that is usually somebody who's known the patient over time. Uh, and because of the many, many causes, uh, you know, boy, it's a really important time. Review the medications. As we get older, if we have any kind of medical question or concern, we need to be looking critically at the medicines we're taking. We need to be skeptical. We need to look at each and every medicine. Why are we taking it? What effect do we expect from it? Uh, can, is it doing the job we expect it to? Uh, could, can we do with less? Uh, anything we can do to simplify medications is very important. Then looking for other medical conditions, uh, simple things that can be treated, thyroid, anemias, problems with vitamins like B12. Uh, these are all important things to check. Uh, they may be a cause or they may be a contributor to the difficulties. And certainly the primary care physician is the place to begin that. Yeah, and that you do you bring up a good point too that, that just because um, you know there may be a change in in your ability to think or remember things, it, it could be an effect, a side effect of a, a medication or something that is lacking in your diet. Or so that that's an important thing. Just Absolutely. don't automatically assume that somebody is is in the early stages of dementia. And the other very important masquerader and potential contributor, boy, depression. Mood mm -hmm. is critically important. Um, if we're feeling depressed, and certainly aging tends to have many losses. Uh, it's, it's not unusual for people to, to experience depression. If we're depressed, we're not paying attention. If we're not paying attention, we're not going to process it and remember it. Right. So right. it's very important to check for that kind of, uh, condition as well and, and, and treat it. And depression is common in, in, uh, early dementias as well. So it's important to treat that so one can function at their maximum. Yeah. Wow. That's very true. So it, w when a patient does come 
to you? What type of assessments are you doing to determine if someone has dementia or is there or is there one or is it more, more, more talking to the family members and asking, you know, what makes you think so? Or I guess, how do you f- figure that out? Yeah. The most important person for the physician to talk to is the patient. And the best tool for making this diagnosis is the standard H&P, the standard history and physical, uh, the routine examination, a complete examination. Now, Getting information from the family is important about what their concerns are. Uh, But really, between the family and the patient, uh, each one of the dementias that we talked about earlier, whether it's Alzheimer's, whether it's Lewy body, whether it's frontotemporal, whether it's because of alcohol, strokes, big long list of, of possibilities, each of those dementias has its own pattern in terms of symptoms, in terms of areas of cognition that are primarily affected, whether it's problem-solving, language, memory, and those are the real clues and direction as to what the underlying pathology brain damage is that might be causing this problem. Then, yes, we want to get laboratory, because again, we want to look for those treatable things that might either be a cause or making it worse. Uh, Again, things like thyroid, vitamin levels, blood counts. and depending on the presentation, the pattern, boy, somebody's got a classic presentation, uh, the basic laboratory is normal, they probably don't even need a brain scan. Because the brain scan doesn't actually make the diagnosis. The brain scan really is to look and be sure we're not missing something. And if as we do the history, we do the physical examination, we've obtained the basic laboratory, uh, and there's not a suggestion of another process, the odds are overwhelming that we're not going to see anything on the brain scan that's going to change the diagnosis. But sometimes the brain scan is helpful. Mm -hmm. But that would be driven by the history, by the physical, by the other laboratory results. Okay. So uh, go back to the, the, the Alzheimer's piece of it. I recently heard of a scan that could be performed to to see if there is plaque buildup on the brain. Do you know what I'm talking about? Epilar or something like that? Yes, there are a variety of scans. Um, The difficulty is, and I'll use something that people maybe are more familiar with, you know, if somebody's had a stroke, you can imagine if you took a CAT scan or an MRI and looked at it, it could look pretty terrible. Oh, but that doesn't tell us how the patient's doing. Mm Mm-hmm. We don't know how the patient's doing until we talk to them. Okay. So even though you have a big stroke, that doesn't mean you're demented. The mm-hmm. diagnosis is that clinical diagnosis that we are having difficulties in multiple cognitive domains, mental domains, including memory. Mm-hmm. But memory might not be the worst, but memory's part of the problem. We, we, we can't see that on a scan. Right. We can only see that by talking to the patient. Assessing the patient. And, and we can't really see that by talking to the family. Ultimately, we need to talk to the patient mm-hmm. and see what they're saying, what they're doing, how the patient is solving problems that we may present to them as we're talking with them. Okay. Interesting. So, so I mean, I, mean I, would, I would add, you know, well, you could biopsy my brain and find Alzheimer changes. That doesn't mean I have Alzheimer's dementia. Right. I'm certainly at higher risk for developing that in the future. Okay. So, yeah, I may be concerned about, gee, am I getting plaque buildup? Hmm, that doesn't sound good. No, it's not. But at this time, we don't have the magic bullet, the magic medicine that's going to reverse that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and by itself, it doesn't make that dementia diagnosis. Okay. So, you know, that was something too that I'd heard about and I, and I, I want to hear about treatment options, but one of the, is it true that Alzheimer's medication really hasn't evolved over the last 10 years? Uh, it's discouraging. They haven't evolved very much over yeah. the last 20 years. Oh, okay. uh, now, lots of research going on, lots mm-hmm. of promising stuff is, 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 is on the forefront, and I expect important and big changes over the next two, five, ten years. But yes, we're dealing with the same medicines today that we had 20 years ago, and they are not the agents that we want. We would like disease-remittive agents. We would like medications that would reverse, stop, slow the progression of the disease. And unfortunately, the medicines we have available today don't do that. They don't change the, the, whatever the process of damage to the brain cells that's going on when we're talking about Alzheimer's. So those medicines work because I think of the body as an incredible recycling center. There's not a red blood cell in your body that's going to be there in three months. Your body has a way of finding those older ones, filtering them out, breaking them down, building new blood cells. Same thing's happening in the brain. We make these neurotransmitters that our brain cells use to talk to each other. Well, they break down, they're recycled. Uh, Unfortunately, in the Alzheimer process, we're losing brain cells that are particularly important for what's called the acetylcholine system. Uh, And we don't yet have a medication to to stop that process. Mm -hmm. The medications we do have that we've had for the last couple of decades, they help the neurotransmitter that we make stick around longer. So it gives a little bit of a boost, but unfortunately we're still losing the brain cells. So that level is going to continue to go down over time. Okay. So let's, let's talk about the, the treatment options available, but you know, one of the, the foremost questions is, is there some, something somebody can do today to help with, you know, help slow the process down or, you know, even if you're not diagnosed, you know, somebody that's healthy, that has good memory, is there something that they should be doing? I mean, there's nothing, right? There's no diet or, you know, there's lots to do. There's lots to do. And I've been working in Alzheimer's for over a couple of decades, and I am an optimist. I am an optimist. I am an optimist with every patient I see today, even though I don't have the medication I would like to have. And I am an optimist because the smarter the caregivers get, the better everything goes. And I'll make a bold statement that how the patient does depends less on the progression of the disease than how the caregivers, the people around, are doing, understanding, coping, arranging the environment to maximize the patient's function and to anticipate change in the future so we're not going from crisis to crisis. Um, Medically speaking, treatments, my shorthand both for prevention and treatment, and these absolutely are proven, if it's good for the heart, it's good for the brain. I want to maximize my brain reserves. Well, how do we do that? We all know what's good for our heart, right? Don't get high blood pressure. If we get it, take good care of it. Don't get diabetes. If we get it, take good care of it. Pay attention to cholesterol. Uh, What we eat is important. Uh, This brings me to the issue of supplements because we understand the the pathology, the damage. Boy, anti-inflammatories antioxidants. Uh, these, these are important processes. We would like to maximize that. Well, the supplements, unf- they haven't had to prove safety and effectiveness. And we have been burned in the past because vitamin E, in fact, is neuroprotective. 
well, we used to recommend high doses of it. Unfortunately, as it was used, we discovered, well, it was neuroprotective, but it was bad for the heart at those doses. Hmm. Not a good deal. So we have to be cautious about those. But I do know a great way to get my antioxidants and anti-inflammatories, and that's on my plate every day. Mm -hmm. And we live in exactly the right place for this. Lots of fruits, lots of vegetables. Thank you, people in agriculture. Um, that is the way to get you know, lots of color on our plate, and these things absolutely are helpful and good. Um, so diet is important. Uh, mental activity, yes, absolutely. Being socially engaged, uh, doing games, reading, all of those are important. Exercising our brains makes a difference. And again, we're talking prevention and treatment. Now, I'm not suggesting we should be quizzing dementia patients. That is not the way to exercise their brains. But engaging in activities that they used to enjoy, you know, cards, knitting, whatever, yes, that is, that is the way to go. Uh, for us, it's a little different. Um, but mental activity, learn a new language. Uh, but minute for minute, the most powerful thing we can do is physical activity. So if you tell me, gee, I'm really busy, I've only got 20 minutes, I can go for a walk or do the Sudoku or the crossword puzzle, simple answer, go for the walk. And oh my gosh, the power of exercise for so many things in our health. Uh, it, what it does for cardiovascular disease, what it does for our cholesterol, what it does for our blood pressure. It lowers our overall risk of cancer. You can't say enough good stuff about exercise. So if there's one take home for everybody, whatever level of exercise we're doing, boy, figure out a way to bump it up. I mean, if it's an extra minute a day, hey, that is good. That over time will make a difference and hopefully we'll keep pushing on it. You know, I do, um, we do a lot of these and every single time I ask, well, what does someone do to re prevent it? It is, it is three things. It's eat healthy, exercise, and, and be social. I mean, just get out there and be engaged. And that, that says a lot. I mean, and, and I, you know, I, I'm a common person that, you know, I could eat a lot healthier and I could feed my family a lot healthier. You know, we could all exercise together, but it just, you know, sometimes it just gets, life gets in the way, you know, and people use that excuse. But, but it's true. I mean, that we always have time to walk. We always have time to walk around the block with the family and, and push the baby and, and just have that conversation and, and downtime. You know, it's, we're not that busy. Truly, we're not that busy. Life is exercise and eating. It is. It is. We need, we need it to is. change Everybody our priorities. Everybody enjoys, you know, sitting down to a good meal and, you know, and, and enjoying conversation and you engorge and stuff yourself. I mean, it's... It, 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 you know, it's, and, and you're right. I mean, life gets in the way. Our habits get in the way. Right. And, and we really do have to rethink, uh, boy, how do, I, how, do I, how do I increase the exercise that I'm doing? Yeah. You know, uh, where can I walk instead of riding the elevator or mm -hmm. walk instead of driving? Uh, where can I park the car so I'm going to walk a little bit more? How can I organize my day? Yeah. Um, so that there's time. And the best exercise is the exercise you enjoy doing. Right. If you're a gym rat, great, go for it. If you don't like that, that's fine. What, what do you like to do? Mm -hmm. And yes, I have older patients who walking may be a challenge for them. Well, we can move our arms. Right. We can lift that soup can. Uh, that's great exercise. And it's phenomenal if people just stop and think about it. Everybody listening, just wave your arms 
as I'm talking right now, oh my gosh, the hair on the back of my neck is tingling. I feel so much better. I feel invigorated just doing that. It's true. Very true. What a gift. Nobody ever leaves uh, after exercise and say, wow, I really wish I didn't do that. Right, you know? right. <laughs> it's true. So, all right, well, let, let's talk about some of the, the treatment options when it comes to medication. Um, you know, what what do you, I mean, what do you do for patients that, that do have dementia? Well, we talked, uh, there, there, there are medications to talk about with your physician. Uh, unfortunately, most people actually don't respond to those medications. So, and even when they do respond, this is not going to be a game changer in terms of the kinds of things that people are worried about right. as they're taking care of a loved one. Uh, fortunately, they're very safe medications in general. Um, but there's certainly one thing to be considering. Uh, boy, we talked about depression as being common. Um, and so being aware of that, because that can be a very treatable condition, um, and that can be very helpful in terms of somebody's function. Uh, that reminds me, as a caregiver, I said before, boy, the most important thing is, boy, the caregivers. Mm -hmm. The caregivers need to get smart about this stuff, and they also need to be sure they're taking care of themselves. Because if they're not doing the important things in their lives to recharge their batteries, they're going to have a hard time facing the challenges that this dementia in a loved one presents to them. So, boy, caregivers getting smarter. Reading, I cannot overemphasize enough. Over and over, families that I work with, you know, I see them back and follow up. What's been the most helpful thing to them? Support groups. Mm, okay. And partly that's the emotional support, mm -hmm. but also it's problem solving because the people yeah. around the table get it. Yeah. They understand the challenges. You don't have to give a big, long explanation. No, no, they've lived it 24-7. They know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But yeah, problem solving. Boy, something didn't go home at right at home. Gosh, what do I do next time? People around the table have some great ideas. I'm worried about this happening in the future. People around the table will have great ideas. Um, and the folks around the table are a great resource. They've, they've vetted, you know, everybody, everybody, whether, whether dementia's on the table or not, all of us as we need, as we get older, have to be thinking about, gee, if I can't, if something happens that I can't stay in my home, where am I going to go? Right. What community am I going to live in and what place? Uh, the big issues for dementia over and over that caregivers are facing, one, it's, boy, patient safety. Is the environment the individual is in safe, protected mm -hmm. enough? Um, and boy, if there are couples involved, man, I want to keep the couple together. Right. So we really need to do, be proactive. Usually when I see people, I, I'm, I'm not advocating that they move, even, even though they may feel very strained with what's going. I'm, I'm rarely advocating that they move, but they need to... The caregivers need to educate themselves, and everybody certainly needs to look at what the living options are. Um, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we don't have to go there. But boy, today we have choices. Tomorrow we might not have a choice. Yeah. And certainly we will have preferences if we've looked. So, I mean, I would assume that, that a caregiver, you know, is, for, for instance, I mean, my parents are, are fairly healthy, but I... I know at some point they'll get to that point. You encourage them to stay home, but as a caregiver, as a as a, a child of theirs, can you provide that care being outside the home? Like come in and check on them and make sure that you know they're they're doing well, or does it really require someone being there more so than just checking in? 
you know, partly it depends on the stage, partly it depends on what the environment that somebody is in. Uh, really the most important issue for the caregiver looking at that, well, I, I asked two questions. One, well, are they safe? Has anything bad happened? Mm -hmm. uh, and if anything bad has happened, well, what have we done so that that doesn't happen again? And what does that warn us we're at risk happening again? Mm -hmm. And how are we going to anticipate that? Um, you know, how, how's the caregiver sleeping at night? If you're waking up in the middle of the night worrying, you know, something needs to change. Yeah. This is not good. You're not getting your batteries recharged. We need to rethink what the living arrangement is so that you will sleep through the night yeah. and be refreshed. And that's true, too. I mean, you can't care for somebody when you're not healthy yourself. Um, and I think it goes back to, once again, those support groups, just to kind of get a, a gauge on, you know, what other people are doing. Because I'm constantly asking, you know, my, my husband's grandmother is currently in an assisted living and and she was very worried. She didn't want to go in. She was very, but, but I knew the system. I knew how it worked. And she's driving. She's yes. doing great. She's making friends. And she's going, you know, they force you to go to breakfast and lunch, which I think is fabulous because it yes. gets you out of your, your place. But, you know, when you're, when you're still married or two individuals together, they kind of get in that little rut thing and they don't typically engage with, with others. So, Well, and that's why I want to look for living situations that can keep okay. them together. Yeah. And there's a, there's a lot, well, I shouldn't say there's a lot out there, but there is. There are, and there's more and more. Yeah, Cause, we're growing. you know, 15, 20 years ago, oh, no, it was this little niche that you went to when you were an older person. Mm -hmm. And then if you needed more care, you didn't fit in that niche anymore, and you had to go find another niche. Right. You know, I look around tables, and I say, okay, who here wants to move? And the end, nobody wants to move. Right. So I say, great, if we're going to move, we're going to move once. Yes. Yes. Once. Yeah. I, I don't want to clean the garage out twice. Once will be way too many times. Yeah. So, yeah, we need to look for places, and the industry has figured this out, mm -hmm. a continuum of care, a place that has independent living, and people with quite different needs often can be together in that independent living, but there's also assisted living, memory care, and skilled care. Mm -hmm. So even if a couple couldn't be under one roof, hey, they're on the same campus. It is so easy to be together. Yeah. And your, your comment about the resistance of people to moving, um, you know, things are safe and people are comfortable and things are going okay. I'm not in a big hurry necessarily. To, oh, you got to move, you got to move. But over and over, yes, the story you hear is, well, they finally do it. And they're going, why didn't we do this two years ago? Yeah, yeah. You know, take advantage of everything that's there. But it's also a reminder for the demented person, you know, there are two big issues you know, one, their self-awareness has become quite limited. Mm -hmm. And because of the dementia and the difficulties with memory, they can't keep all of the information that we need to make a complex decision available as they make the decision. Right. So they're making the decision really based on very limited information. Um, so, boy, caregivers really have to. It's hard. It is really hard. Mm -hmm. But they really have to recognize their substituted judgment. Um, and boy, if it's the right thing, figure out how to make it happen. Yeah. So are, are there um, support groups in the area? And at what point, I guess my question is, is, you know, I have aging parents that uh, they could be having some issues, went to a primary care doctor and they, yeah, they're probably in the early stages. You know, at what point do you want to go to one of those support groups and just Yesterday. Have okay. Yesterday. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, um, 
you know, I encourage, I'm going to, I'm going to give a pitch, you know, if people can only remember one resource in the community in the state, it's the caregiver resource centers. And here in the Valley, it's the Valley Caregiver Resource Center. And I'm going to give their phone number. I'm yeah, not on their absolutely. payroll. No, absolutely. But oh my gosh, Valley Caregiver Resource Center. Google them, 224-9154, 224-9154. They are a tremendous clearinghouse for services for seniors. They have lists of support groups in Hanford and Visalia and Fresno, Bakersfield. And California, thank you has caregiver resource centers throughout the state. So if you call, you know, you've got a relative in San Diego and they're going, oh my gosh, how can I help with this? Oh, good. Please go to a support group in San Diego. And that's your question for the support group. Hey, I've got this family member and I want to be supportive and helpful. How do I do that at a distance? Mm -hmm. Yes, everybody who cares and is involved, go to a support group at least once to see what it's like. Um, Because again, this is, it's like the insurance model. I mean, I hope my house never burns down, but I have fire insurance Mm -hmm. and I don't regret a penny that I spent on it. Right. My house didn't wasted money. Right. No, no. Mm -hmm. I slept well. Yeah. It's Uh, it's the same model as we get older. Uh, Nobody's got a crystal ball. We don't know exactly how things may roll out, but we really need the plan for, you know, think about, hey, the common things that happen. I may have to move out of my home at some point. Right. Okay, Where am I going to go? And I don't have to, you know, spend the next four weeks, 40 hours a week on that. But I do need to consider those issues uh, because now I have choices. Now I have choices. And if something happens that forces the issue, I will not be getting my preference. Well, and we've had uh, talks about care goals and planning your advanced directives yes. and, and those are good conversations very how important. to start those up so that's a different podcast that, that i encourage the listeners to to um, look up and and it is important to have those conversations with with your family and your your parents and loved ones now instead of waiting until something you know major or catastrophic happens and then you're kind of absolutely there there is nothing morbid about having a discussion about a durable power of attorney for yeah. health care because we have to remember something could happen to any of us we get in an auto accident and get knocked out wait a minute who's going to make our meta who will speak for us who will who knows our values mm-hmm. and can speak the way we would speak yeah. well I, i've got a pretty good idea of that but if i don't specify it there is no guarantee it could be very different. And well, in, in California, yeah. if you have not specified, functionally speaking, it's the governor making those decisions. Yeah. Okay? No, 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 no. I want people who know me, who understand my values. So, yes, write it down. Have that discussion. And what a gift if anything happens. Yeah. The you people just make who, it easier on your family. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The people who, if they have to make that decision, the fact that we talked about it and they can feel like it's not their hard decision, it's, it's the decision that I wanted. Yeah. Because it's never easy. And, um, you know, this Valley Caregiver Resource Center in, in for here in Fresno, too, I've, I've been in healthcare care 15, almost 20 years. Um, I've heard great things about it. I've heard that, you know, you've got um, 
people there, anyone from that can help with the support questions and the, the groups, you know, all the way up to there's physicians that, that are attached to it. So, you, you know, you're getting a spectrum of care where it's not just, oh, here's a list of numbers to call. It's not like that at all. There's, there's conversations to be had. There's appointments you could potentially make. Um, so it is, it's a good, um, a good resource for people that live in, you know, Fresno, Madera County. So I would encourage you to, to reach out to them and go to one of the. Yes. And I'll give that phone classes. number again, because over Please. and over they, they, yeah. they are so helpful to people. 224-9154, Valley Caregiver Resource Center. And the other huge resource, you know, in terms of the smarter caregivers can get about this dementia stuff, the better things go. Well, how do we do that? Support group's a great way to do that. Um, uh, there's some great information on the, on the internet. There's also some terrible information on the internet, but the National Alzheimer Association, ALZ.org is a good, 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 good source of information. Mm-hmm. Uh, reading, um, if, over and over families, people have read 10 books and I say, okay, well, which is, if you can only recommend one, which will you recommend? The book is called the 36 hour day. And it's a wonderful book. It's been through, I think at least three editions. It's in paperback. It's in Spanish. I've never been to a used bookstore that I couldn't find a copy. Uh, the library will have it. It has a wonderful bibliography. And the best book to read is the title resonates with you, whatever your concern is at that time. Mm-hmm. But reading, very important. 36-hour a day. I recommend it highly. Okay. It's not a beach read. I don't recommend it cover to cover, <laughs> but it's really well organized. So it's a great book to graze, and it has a great bibliography. So okay. very helpful in terms of dementia issues and worries. Is there anything else that I'm forgetting as far as it, you know, Oh, forgetting? forgetting? Well, <laughs> I have a few other questions for you. That I'm not, you know, that I'm not bringing up or um, making listeners aware when it comes to dementia. Did I cover everything? We, we've covered a lot of good stuff in a short period of time. Uh, you know, I guess I would just remind people in terms of success, communicating with people who have dementia. Um, Boy, they are not in denial. They're not lying. They are telling us what they remember. And remember, that's, that's, that's the problem with the disease. Mm-hmm. It, it interferes with our memory. So it's usually not very effective, and you may get a lot of unpleasant pushback if you're trying to convince the demented person... That they remember. ...of X, yeah. Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Don't you remember that the doctor told you? Uh, no, they don't. That's part of the disease process, and, and they, they're not being stubborn about it. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's not where the, 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 the best moving forward is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more we can rely on somebody's past strengths, the better. Uh, those past pleasant experiences, the more we can spend time in those places mm-hmm. with that person, uh, very therapeutic, therapeutic all around. Okay. Go yeah. with past strengths. Yeah, and that and that makes a lot more sense. Or or the things that the the individual does want to talk about and is talking about because those are the ones that that they remember and they feel best about. Yes. Okay. Wow. A little bit scary, but I think too that it's it's manageable. You know, if you're if you're on top of it and as a caregiver, it don't be intimidated. You know, by it. And, yeah. It is. It is absolutely very manageable, and the better informed the caregivers can be, the more they can anticipate change, then the less disruption there's going to be. The the more we can take advantage of the patient's strengths. Yeah. It's a a completely different perspective of what I expected that we were going to talk about, you know, because the caregiver is the, is important. I mean, they're the ones that, that are going to be able to 
to help the most and balance that the individual's life a little bit better. But all in, you know, all in all, they have to, they have to have a, a good understanding and how to manage it. So. Yes. And a good understanding of their limitations. Right. And being willing to reach out. Yeah. Because the idea here is not that things go perfectly for the demented person and the caregiver burns out. Mm-hmm. No, that is not a win. And it won't happen. Yeah. It won't happen. Remember my comments earlier about how emotionally and socially intact people are. Well, you know, the, 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 the demented parent feels, boy, there's anxiety in the room. Where is that coming, coming from? from? Right. Is it, yeah. And that makes them anxious. <laughs> yeah. And now things aren't going very well. Yeah. Well, the anxiety may be coming from us. So we, we really need to be aware of how we're feeling, what our internal state is, and, and, and working on improving that. Yeah. Because the demented person will feel it. I think even, you know, I think even when I'm, I, I see my mom every day and I, I know she picks up on things like, oh, I'm rushed or I'm having um, anxiety, not anxiety in the sense that I got to get out, I got to get to work, I got to get this. She feels it because I, yes. you know, because she mentions it. Are you okay? Is everything going okay? I'm like, yeah, I just got to go, you know. So, so they do, they pick up on it. And that's just, especially if you, these are your parents, they know you better probably yes, those than those in ten are very good. Yeah. So, well, thank you. I appreciate you coming in today. And, um, you know, hopefully you'll come back and talk about another topic. And it's always good seeing you. Great to be back anytime. And again, this this is a topic I'm very optimistic about, which people think, oh, strange, you know, because this is a disease that we understand. It's progressive and it's unremitting and, you know, takes away the individual. But yes, that's true. But but, uh, the more informed the caregiver can be, the more we can take advantage of the strengths. We can be living in the strengths of the patient right. instead of in those negatives. Well, and in, in that model, and then hopefully, you know, over the next 5, 10, 15 years, as you mentioned, that the medication and the, and the treatment will get better. And so in the end, it will be a little bit easier for the caregiver and a little bit stronger treatment options. And hopefully we won't have to deal with this in 10, 15 years. So. Thank you. I, I, I think we'll still be dealing with this. I, I think there'll be other issues. But uh, but modern medicine is amazing. I think it surprises uh, wonder, me on a daily basis. Wonderful things have happened. Wonderful things have happened. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. 